My source of strength that I've found would be family support. And that's not just because family, like relative or blood family, um, but you can have found family. So some of my best friends are my family, and I rely on them every day. That was the voice of high school senior Sophia Schiltz talking about sources of strength to bolster mental wellness among her friends and fellow students at Appleton North. Welcome to Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. I'm Amy Spreeman. We're going to hear more from her in just a moment. In the co-host chair today is Kyle Armstrong, Community Engagement Coordinator here at the Foundation. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Amy. We're continuing our conversation about mental health in the Fox Valley. Our last episode focused on how we can help the one in five adults in our community who are experiencing mental illness. We talked about a brand new report with important action steps based on last year's local Mind Your Wellness survey and the recommendations we as a community need to follow to make an impact. Yes, and you can find those action steps on our website show notes. We're going to link to that episode and uh, those next steps. Today's episode is really a part two of mental health and wellness. We are going to focus on the topic of mental health for our youth in the Fox Valley. Our teens are in crisis with pressures our older generations can't even imagine because it's really a new world out there. And COVID has only made it worse. The latest youth risk behavior survey by the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction revealed the continuation of a decade-long trend. The number of students reporting they feel sad and hopeless was up again, now at 34% statewide. Students reporting significant anxiety has increased to 52%. Meanwhile, 18% of all students surveyed seriously considered attempting suicide in the past 12 months, the highest rate since 2003. But there is some good news. Local efforts to strengthen the mental wellness of our students are beginning to have a positive impact. And that's where we're going to focus today. I sat down with Wendy Harris, who coordinates a program called Healthy Teen Minds, an initiative of the NEW Mental Health Connection, now called The Connection. Wendy is also a mom who has experienced what it's like to advocate for her child within the mental health system here in the Fox Valley. Here's what she had to say. Well, joining us is Wendy Harris. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and your role at the Northeast Wisconsin Mental Health Connection, now called The Connection. Tell us a little bit about the work you do. So I am project coordinator for an initiative called Healthy Teen Minds. And that project is an effort to improve the mental health of teens in our tri-county region, Calumet, Outagamie, and Winnebago counties. So what we do is develop initiatives, population-level strategies to improve the mental health for all teens. I really want to talk to you about how that's going, but I, I think what we need to do is back up a little bit and talk a little bit about why you got into this work in the first place, um, starting with your own experience as a parent. Um, you, your own son has been in the system, uh, and for listeners who haven't experienced a child who has uh, mental health challenges, it's not something you were prepared for, is it? Not at all. So in my past professional life, I was a career journalist for nearly 20 years, and I covered um, health and medicine and social services. So I'd written a story or two about the mental health system. 
And then um, I got to experience it firsthand with my mm. son. So my son was very young. This was over 12 years ago. By around the ages of six and seven, he was showing emerging signs of severe emotional distress, um, symptoms of mental illness. His anxiety got worse and worse to the point where it became debilitating, mm. to the point where it gave way to depression. And I thought I was doing all the right things. After all, I'd signed him up to see a therapist. He was going to do talk therapy once a week. You know, I was on top of it. And then he reached his breaking point and he had his first psychiatric hospitalization. And that was traumatizing for him, for me, for our, our whole family. And we got thrust into experiencing our disjointed and underfunded mental health system of care. And I was so unprepared. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about, um, as a parent, about the stigma and if that's improved at all. For me, yes. I mean, I had to come face to face with my internalized stigma. So my son, uh, younger son went to the hospital, I had a psychiatric hospitalization. And I remember just feeling like ashamed and secretive. I felt guilty. I felt like I had done something wrong as a parent. Well, two years prior, my other son, he had gotten sick and he'd gone into the hospital for abdominal surgery. You know, I was able to tell everyone about that. Folks sent him cards. People brought us casseroles. You know, so why was this different? I mean, that's part of the societal stigma that we grow up with, that we internalize. And I had to come face to face with that. Well, um, fast forward 12 years, I'm over it. <laughs> and, um, and that I hope, you know, that I can make other people feel comfortable talking openly about it. You know, our heads are attached to our bodies. Our mental health is just as important as our physical health. In fact, they're interconnected. And so, you know, it's a journey. And I think our society, I'd like to think we're doing better breaking down stigma, especially in the wake of the pandemic, mm, because yes. that affected all of us. That affected our collective mental health. And throughout the pandemic, we saw, you know, increasing rates of anxiety and depression, and it affected all of us. So I think the pandemic, hopefully, if one good thing could have come from it, was normalizing talking about our mental health. And that's important. And we need to take care of it just like we take care of our physical bodies. You know, uh, for for parents who are just finding themselves at the beginning of this journey that you've been on, they're experiencing the gaps that you experienced, maybe in a new way. Maybe it's with, um, you know, fighting the insurance companies over prescription drugs and the pharmacies that run out of uh, the pills or uh, just finding a therapist these days is uh, there's a wait list. So what would you say to them? Uh, give them some hope. What, how do we navigate these gaps? Ugh, I've experienced all of that. And um let me give you the good news first. So in the past decade, there's been huge strides made in this community to improve our system of care, to improve access to care, and so many new programs and services have grown up in this community. So I feel really fortunate for my son that we live in this community because we do have access to so many supports and services and, and great care now. And it wasn't like that when I started on this journey with him 12 years ago. Um, bad news is we still have a desperate shortage of providers. So if you need to see a mental health therapist, if you need to see a psychiatrist, you're going to be put on a waiting list. And the length of that waiting list is going to depend on like what type of insurance you have, um, where you access your health care, you know, do you get it from, you know, whatever health care provider. Um, so that's the frustrating part. But the good news is we are a really resource-rich community. We have lots of other 
other supports for mental health challenges. We have support groups. We have um, inpatient, outpatient, partial hospitalization, day treatment. We do have um, um, so many great resources in our community. While you're waiting to get into a therapist or a psychiatrist, um, we have support groups, hotlines, warm lines. Um, so, so there is hope. And, you know, and I think when I started on this journey, I had a very narrow view of what mental health was. It's like, okay, He's going to go to a therapist and that's going to fix it. Oh, wait, this is really severe. He needs medication. Okay, we're going to find that magic pill. It wasn't like that. You know, it it had to be very holistic. And as I've come along this journey, I've realized that there's so many things, right, that contribute to our overall well-being. And so I have learned how to help my son cultivate other strengths in his life. And then coincidentally, that's where my career has led me to that um, that upstream approach about cultivating strength and that how when we can build strengths in our lives, that helps us get through life's ups and downs. You know, it's not going to completely prevent, you know, maybe an onset of mental illness, but when we cultivate strengths, um, that's really important for our overall mental wellness. I want to go back to something that actually is very um, dark and difficult to talk about in the Fox Valley. Um, it was very painful and still painful to talk about. Almost 15 years ago, there was a school district here that experienced an extremely dark time and several students, I think even a teacher, uh, had died by suicide, all very close together. Tell me a little bit about how that shocked the community, because I still remember that. I know you do too. Um, and how that might have been an impetus for change. Oh my gosh, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that my son was that was when he he got sick and it just scared me just scared me thinking like to lose a child to suicide. Um so that really sort of set our community on fire and there was always this growing momentum and awareness and urgency that we have to do more for our community with regards to mental health. So around that time um a lot of things were going on. There were new findings from the life study that showed all of the the mental health challenges in our community. Um, there was a theta care plunge, and that led to a mental health summit in 2011. And of course, we had this cluster of teen suicide. So that really um, spurred the community to action. And the outcome of that was the birth, the formation of the Northeast Wisconsin Mental Health Connection, the agency that I now work for. That's how it started. Yeah, that's how it started. Wow. And um the connection has been around for over 10 years now. Last year, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Yes. And as part of that anniversary, we did a timeline documenting all of the great initiatives, all of the work that our community collectively has worked on. And we've um, accomplished quite a lot. We still have our work cut out for us, and there's a lot of work to do. But our community has really rallied in the past decade to to make those systemic improvements, and we are making progress we have that document actually on our website yeah, and yeah. at the Community Foundation. And we'll put that in our show notes today, as well as several other links that you're going to tell us about uh, during this interview. We'll have uh, a very robust set of resources in our show notes today for this episode. Um, so let's talk about your work at The Connection and how you're focused on Healthy Teen Minds. What is that about? Yeah, so seven years ago, I joined The Connection. I was hired as a project coordinator for a new grant program. The Connection received an eight-year, $1.2 million grant yes. from the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. That's the endowment at the Medical College of Wisconsin. And the goal was to improve behavioral health in our community. So we were lucky to be one of 10 community coalitions selected throughout Wisconsin for this new 
innovative change uh, maker grant project. So what was so cool about this grant project is we were given eight years of sustained funding. Like who does that eight years for a grant project? And in addition, we were also given education, resources, the support of a learning community, an academic partner team at medical college, you know, to tackle this wicked problem of mental health challenges in our communities and collectively in Wisconsin. And what also made this unique is we were given a an entire year, the first year of the grant for planning and learning. And so they just didn't want us to jump in with all of our mental models and come up with, you know, um, a project plan. But they wanted us to dig deep into the data, study our population, and let the data drive us. In fact, we were trained in a model called results-based accountability, okay. which is where you set aside all those mental models, um, look at the data, and let the data drive your decisions, you know, you study risk factors, protective factors, and then those factors that you think you can influence at a population level. And so as we researched and developed our project in year one, that was 2016, we made the decision to focus our efforts on youth. And all of the data was confirming what, you know, our community was really concerned about, that our youth were facing um, a mental health crisis. You know, so well before COVID, there was um, growing community awareness and consensus that our, our kids are um, were in trouble. So when we started um, the project, when we looked at the data, and we relied on um, youth risk behavior survey data. Have you heard about the YRBS? Yes. So that's the CDC's uh, survey. Every um, two years. Every two right? years okay. that schools um, administer to students. It's completely voluntary. And they, you can give it to middle schoolers and high schoolers, and it asks like literally like 101 questions about um, health behaviors, including, you know, smoking, uh, drug use, alcohol, sexual behaviors. Did you get enough fruits and veggies? How much sleep do you <laughs> yes. get? And then it also has a cluster of questions around mental health that ask um, about depression, anxiety, suicide-related behaviors. So this is really, really rich data that mental health folks, um, uh, policymakers, public health officials um, can use to get a snapshot of how our youth are doing and then let, let that inform um, programs and initiatives. And then we can measure to see how we're doing. Um, when we started the Healthy Teen Minds Project in 2016, the data showed us that about one in four students were feeling sad and hopeless. So it's a question on the YRBS feeling sad and hopeless for two or more weeks in the past year where you didn't want to do your usual activities. So that aligns with like the clinical criteria for uh, depression. So it's not a true diagnosis of depression, but a proxy um, for depression. So one in four. So that was like way too high. That was huge. Um, so that was before the pandemic. And now that number has creeped up to 27.3%. That's here in the Tri-County area. So that number is still lower than the state. Um, and the national numbers, so that's, you know, better. <laughs> We're faring better than the state and national, but still way too high. Um, when we started the project, 17% um, of our tri-county youth had uh, seriously considered attempting suicide. And the latest YRBS in 2021, this was during the pandemic, that has dropped a few percentage points to um, 14%. Um, and then back when we started, 14% had made a, a plan for suicide that's dropped a little to 10%. And our number um, of students who have attempted suicide is at is at six percent, so still very very scary uh, it is. numbers. 
It is indeed. And so more training is happening. And this program that you have now is actually, how many schools is it in in the Fox Valley? Where where would we see this? Yeah, so one of the big strategies born out of the Healthy Teen Minds Initiative is a program called Sources of Strength. And Sources of Strength is an evidence-based suicide prevention program for young people. But more than that, it is a radically strength-based wellness program for everyone. Everyone gets to everyone. It's not just for the students. It's great for the grownups too. And um, the program works like this. So what we do is we do two days of training. First, we train the teachers, all the adult advisors, you know, best case scenario, we get all staff at that first training because we want everyone to understand the model of sources of strength and learn the language and understand its principles. And then we do a day-long training with peer leaders, and the goal is we're going to recruit recruit 10% of the student population. So we want a really diverse group of students, freshmen through seniors, from all the different social groups. You know, think of uh, the movie back in the 80s. Um, Oh, I know what it is. Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. Yes. Right, right. We're moving all these different social groups, right, as sources. And then what we do is after this training, um, the adult advisors and the peer leaders then come together monthly, twice a month to work together to practice, build, and then share a community of strength. And they do that by developing strategic mes- messaging campaigns. And then over time, that creates positive um, climate and culture change. So students, are leaders, peer leaders, are actually helping their friends helping um, students in all different peer groups, so uh, so nobody's really left behind. We're hope that's the hope. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. yeah. So sources is based on the science of social connections, um, social networking theory, and this is the idea that our behaviors, our attitudes, are contagious. You know, I mean, we know that disease is contagious. You know, we learn that unfortunately again through COVID. Um, but yeah, but our attitudes and our behaviors spread through a social network in the same way. So what we want to do is we want to create new social norms around help-seeking behavior. We want to break down stigma around mental health challenges. We want students to know and model that um, talking about and seeking help for mental health challenges is just important as physical health. And we want to model going to trusted adults for help. So, you know, so sources isn't training these young people to be like junior therapists, you know, pull up a chair and come to my locker and talk to me about your problems. No, we are training peer leaders to be agents of change and connectors to help. And what we do that is we train the students in protective factors. It's called the sources of strength wheel. And sources is based on um, these eight strengths. And of course, they're very intuitive and they make sense. So, and the idea is that when we build up these strengths in our life, it helps us get through life's ups and downs. Because life's not fair. We're all going to go through tough stuff. And we, we can build up those strengths and make us more resilient. Then the hope is maybe we'll never get to that point of crisis. But if we do, we're going to ask for help or we're going to connect our friend to help if they're in crisis. So what are the eight uh, sources that you talk about yeah. as sources of strength? So um, family support. Okay. Um, having positive friends, notice pot is positive as opposed to negative. So we stress that with the students, you know, how to be a positive friend. <laughs> having mentors can be really, really protective, you know, especially when we're going through big transitions in life. Um, healthy activities. We all want a good diverse portfolio of healthy activities that we can lean into during tough times when we're feeling stressed. Generosity. This one often comes as a surprise huh. to people yeah. and it's really, really powerful when we can be generous and, um, give to 
to others, what we find is we get more actually in return when we are generous. And this can be really for powerful when someone is going through something tough. If we can find even little ways to be generous, it reminds us that we have agency and we have power and we can create positive ripples in the world. Well, and it also kind of takes you out of your own situation. Exactly. We, we see that with yeah. volunteering. Yeah. Uh, so generosity with your time could be, um, you know, getting out of your own mindset and really helping somebody else. That's, that's very powerful. Yeah, very powerful. And then there's spirituality. And, you know, that's more than just maybe you're a member of a faith community, but the feeling that you're connected to something bigger than yourself, that you're part of a bigger story, whether that's spending time in nature or meditation or yoga, those uh, practices and rituals, yeah, that kind of get us out of our head and make us feel like, yeah, we're, we're connected to something bigger in the universe. And then the last two strengths on the wheel are physical health and mental health. And again, okay. those are two sides of the same coin. And we are really intentional in sources to emphasize just, again, that mental health is just as important as physical health. And, you know, we create the analogy, like with, with the students, we'll talk about like, you know, if you're in gym class, you're playing basketball, you know, you break a leg. What do you do? You know, your friends call the coach, someone call 911, get an ambulance, right? They're like, in pain, they're hurt, they don't deserve in pain, we know they can get better. We get them help. So similarly, if you have a friend who's experiencing a mental health crisis, maybe they're talking about that they want to end their life, what do we do? We don't keep it a secret. That's an emergency. We get them help. We connect to the coach. We connect to a trusted adult because we know that they're in pain. They don't deserve to be in pain. And that help is available. So we really, really emphasize that because we want to break down those codes of secrecy and silence with the youth so that they know that they need to connect to help for themselves or for a friend. We're going to come back to Wendy's interview in just a moment. And I asked her if you could change just one thing to positively impact our teen's mental health, what would that be? Her answer might surprise you. But first, we wanted to show how this initiative is working on the ground by taking you to Appleton North High School, where school counselor Judy Prudham shares how students are talking about the sources of strength they need to get through hard times. I think we've always had kids who are dealing with mental health issues. People are talking more about mental health. It's not a taboo. Appleton North has implemented Sources of Strength for the past seven years. Um, this would be our seventh year. I believe we were one of the first schools in the Valley. Um, sources of Strength is really a prevention program. And the eight Sources of Strength are, you know, your mental health, your family support, positive friends, mentoring, healthy activity, generosity, spirituality, physical health, all those things are part of a student's repertoire when we talk every month about all those things that have to do with a student's mental health. And the best part of it is we use peer power to let our voices be heard. And every month we focus on a campaign during homeroom and do some type of an activity with every single student in the school during that homeroom time and focus on each of the eight sources of strength. And that's what makes this program so unique is it's not adults running the program and it's not adults doing all the activities. It's all about the students and the students working with each other. And I think that's what makes this message so powerful as, as peers listen to peers. So having peers deliver that message is really powerful. 
Now let's hear more from the Appleton North student we introduced you to earlier. Sophia Schiltz was appointed to be a peer advocate for the Sources of Strength program, a position she trained hard for, and one she says is an honor and a huge responsibility. Here's more from Sophia. I am a peer leader in Sources of Strength. Um, so how does that work? How does What's a peer leader do? You know, give me a kind of her instance. So let's start with I'm a first year, actually. So fun fact, it's my first year and I just like loved the program. I wanted to get really involved. Mental health is really important to me. So after I found out about it, I kind of jumped headfirst into it. And the way we'd set it up this year was it was divided into small groups by month. So my first group I did, we did back in November. And we did the um, source of generosity. And that meant, you know, working as a small group, all different grades, talking about what generosity means to us, how can we implement it in the school, and how can we teach other kids our age about that specific source, generosity, and how it's going to help them in their future. One of the things that you're trained to do is help people feel included. How important is that to you? Um, it's a big thing. I think so. I've always been I don't want to say like a friend group hopper, but I've had my fair share of friends. I've gone all over the place. Um, And thanks to sources of strength, you know, it helps you know how to keep yourself grounded in yourself. And I think like the key to being able to include others is first you have to be comfortable with yourself. You're not going to be able to help someone if you don't know who you are. So inclusion is really important because you know, I know who I am and I'm comfortable with my friends. And now I can start bringing in other people and I can be like, here's a safe space for you because it's a safe space for me. That's excellent. You had mentioned that mental health is something that you're passionate about. Why is that? Um, So I've had my older brother. He's battled a lot of mental health. So that's a big thing for me. And even myself, you know, um, the pandemic was, you know, it always hits. I think it hit hard for everyone. You know, we all had our different COVID battles. But I think even as a teenager, We use the term, you know, chronically online. You get the kids who are scrolling through TikTok hours, and I'm not shy with my social media either. I'm on it a fair share. But when we were in the pandemic and that was our only way to see the outside world, it can feel really, really isolating. So I think it was really, it's really important to create a way for kids to know that they have a healthy outlet. We also hear a lot about, you know, poor coping skills. And I think, you know, I've had friends who have been influenced poorly. And they're not struggling anymore, or everyone still struggles, but they're not coping the same way. And I think part of it is because they discovered things like sources of strength where they could develop healthier ways to seek outreach. You know, um, we have a lot of listeners of all ages, and, and we want to include so many voices, and it's so important to include young people like yours. What do you want older people to know about the stresses that your generation face as far as mental wellness and, and challenges to that? I think there's two big things for me. So the first one would be, I wouldn't say peer pressure is what they think it is. I think a lot of adults will warn upcoming youth to be like, don't fall into peer pressure. You know, you hear about drugs. Vaping is really popular with like high schoolers and even middle schoolers coming up now. Um, and you hear that like adults are always like, you know, just say no. And it is a big thing. But I think students don't actually push it on kids. It's never, hey, take this. Come on. You know, it's more like kids are looking for that inclusion. And if you're uncomfortable with yourself, you're looking from that support from someone else. So instead of them saying, hey, take this, kids will actually seek it out because they want that sort of in common situation. So like, if I feel really alone, or like we have nothing in common, all of a sudden, we're doing that, you know, whatever together, drinking, whatever. And now you have that. And while it's not healthy, 
it's something that bonds you. So I think it's really peer pressure is not the way I think adults push it. And it I don't think it prepares kids in the same way the other that they should be. And the other thing is I would not discourage social media. I don't think social media is necessarily the healthiest thing. But it's really isolating for a kid to not be able to have that in common with your peers. You know, everyone's sitting around and they're on Snapchat talking to each other and you're sitting there like, well, what do I do with myself? And yes, kids are on their phones probably more than they should be. But then you have the one kid and now they're not fitting in. And it's really, 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 I think, toxic to mental health because what am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? I don't have that common ground and I can't reach you any other way. So I think social media, it's all about like building healthy habits. So just discussing with youth, if you're an adult trying to like learn how to use it, discuss it. Be like, how do you use it? What do you use it for? I've made my parents join Snapchat because I prefer it. They prefer to text. I prefer Snapchat. It's just it's just a weird age gap thing. But um, yeah, social media, I think it's more important to teach kids how to use it safely as opposed to taking it away from them all in general. And I think that's a difference in generations that we see a lot. That was an excellent answer. I really appreciate that. Um, as a peer leader in this one year, what have you seen? What improvements have you seen in your uh, your groups that you influence? I think the movement, I'm really passionate about the movement because I think it's so well thought out and put together. And you can see that in school when kids, you know, have a gravitational pull to like one section and you'll kids will know what they prefer. And even if they're off the top of their head, you couldn't say, what source do you feel? If you were like, hey, between these, what feels like you would be more centered with? Kids will be able to tell you, oh, spirituality. I attend church every Sunday. Generosity. I like to volunteer in my free time. You know, kids know. And I think ha- being able to name that is really, really healthy because it keeps them thinking about what they can go to later on in life. I'm Peter Mariazzi. My wife, Joanne, and I are passionate about our community and the work nonprofit agencies do to improve lives here. We have a fund with the Community Foundation for the Fox Area Region, and we support, through our fund, the efforts of the Nonprofit Leadership Initiative to help agencies improve their effectiveness to deliver on their mission. You, too, can set up a fund to support. Learn more at cffoxvalley.org. Wendy, we're back with uh, segment two here, and let's talk a little bit about some of the risk factors uh, when we talk about teen mental health. Some students are continuing to be at greater risk. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, when we talk about our youth mental health crisis, we must also talk about the LGBTQ plus youth and other marginalized students, our BIPOC students, because they are put at much greater risk. Uh, close to 70% of our LGBTQ students reported feeling sad or hopeless during the past mm. year, according to the latest YRBS. 70%, 80% say they have anxiety challenges. And uh, nearly half of them have seriously considered suicide. That's a rate two and a half times higher than youth as a whole. And 22% attempted suicide. So they face so many more stressors in their environment, in the world that put them at greater risk. And for uh, an LGBTQ student, um, having one accepting adult in their lives can make them 40% less likely to attempt suicide. That's huge. So, you know, in, in sources, having trusted adults is really, really important. 
And um, we want every student to have a trusted adult. So to that end, we have partnered with the Diverse and Resilient of, of Appleton to create a training for school staff, an uh, ally training, because we want school staff to feel competent and confident so that they can be allies for LGBTQ youth. And so we um, finished that training. We had our first run through with staff, got great feedback, and we're going to be rolling that out in the fall. Um, because, yeah, when you can go to school and feel safe and, and connected, that's hugely, hugely beneficial for, for mental health. Yeah. Wendy, are there other groups that also uh, are at high risk? Yeah, we know girls are at much higher risk for anxiety and depression and across all the other risk factors. So that's something we need to be mindful of. And also our, our BIPOC community, our Black, Indigenous, and um, other students of color. So in our sources teams, we really want our adult advisor team to be really, really diverse so that it's going to encourage the diversity of students to want to be part of the program, to benefit, and to make sure that they have um, a trusted adult that has a similar um, experience to them and because we know that's so, so protective to have a trusted adult. If there was one thing that you could tell parents, teachers, teenagers in particular to change mental health, to make improvements, what would that be? Our students are facing an epidemic of sleep deprivation. So what we learned is that our teens are incredibly sleep deprived. In fact, two thirds of our teens are not getting the recommended amounts of sleep. Two thirds. Two thirds. Nine hours or more. And you know what it feels like when you haven't gotten enough sleep? Yes. You're cranky, (laughs) you're irritable, it's hard to focus, you can't get your work done. And imagine two thirds of our teens going to school um, sleep deprived. And, you know, sleep loss in adolescence is associated with increased risk of poor grades, lower scores on standardized tests, higher truancy and dropouts, reduced problem solving, inattention, um, depression, anxiety, and substance use. In fact, more than 60 studies have found correlations between chronic insufficient sleep and suicide. So we have to do better for our, our teens. And a lot of parents will think, well, they just need to get off their phones and go to bed earlier. Sure, that might help. But the real culprit is the early school start times. And we aren't the first to stumble on this. In fact, there's a whole national movement to push back school start times. And some states have done it, like California and Minnesota. And lo and behold, they see improvements in youth mental health. They see improvements in attendance and grades and graduation rates. And so early on in our project, we wanted to start the conversation about teen sleep and raise awareness about how important it is for teens um, to get enough sleep. And this could be an easy solution. You know, I mean, so, so many... Um, health organizations recommend not starting school before um, 8.30 for um, middle and high school students. And so what is the difference? They, they start school right now in high schools at what time and what would an ideal time be? Yeah, so I mean, some schools, you know, 7.30, some have like zero hours. So I remember my son having to get up at 5.30 a.m. to get to like mm-hmm. band practice, yeah. you know. And, and the reason this is so important for our adolescents, for our teens, is during puberty, there is a shift in their circadian rhythm. So that hormone, like melatonin, um, secretes later. It's no wonder, you know, like our teens are up till 10, 11 doing homework. It's because their brains are wired that way. Their bodies don't get triggered to get sleepy until much later. And then they're programmed to sleep in later. So when we're waking up our, our teens at 5.30 to get to school, that's the equivalent of waking a grown-up at 2.30 in the morning. 
Yeah. So no wonder, you know, they're struggling to get up and get to school and they're fall, falling asleep in zero hour and first hour. And so we were hoping that, you know, we could, we could build some momentum, some awareness for a start school later campaign, um, in the Fox Valley. It didn't happen. And it's one of those strategies where all the dominoes kind of have to fall together. Wendy, this program is going on in three counties, the tri-county area. What are those counties and uh, what can uh, school districts outside of those counties do to improve mental health? So, yeah, the Sources of Strength program, and we call this um, a Tier 1 program. So this is a universal strategy, so it's intended to benefit everyone. And our project footprint has been Calumet, Outagamie, and Winnebago counties. So our goal is we wanted to get sources up and running, embedded in um, all of the high schools in those three counties. And so far, we're at 22, 22 um, middle and high schools, most of them high schools. And um, the good news is our project is not going away. We are headed into year eight, so our project will be ending in a year. But here's what's exciting. Uh, CESA 6 has taken over our implementation project and is growing it. So schools now um, outside of the Tri-County area, if they're interested in sources, um, CESA can train them, can train them in sources and get sources program up and running in their schools. Even the rural areas, because this is so needed everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And for schools that are just getting... Um, started in mental health sources is a great program. Yeah, so we've had a lot of uh, rural schools out in um, Calumet in all of our counties that have adopted sources. And, you know, it's ultimately um, primarily a prevention program, but it also is uh, intervention, you know, identifying um, students in crisis and connecting them to help. And it's also um, a really good prospension program, too. So in the event a school um, experiences a loss, whether it's, you know, a death, a loss by suicide, or maybe if just like a favorite coach retires, you know, if there's any source of um, type of loss, the peer leader team can come together and do campaigns um, to support students, you know, to help them get through that loss, feeling connected and, and feeling supported. So good uh, intervention, postvention is, you know, ultimately good prevention work as well. I'm so glad these programs are happening in schools, and it, it's such a message of hope. I want to bring it back to the parents for a second, because when you first are confronted with the idea that that one of your children, one of your teenagers is going through something that uh, you know you need help, where do we even begin? When you're in crisis, you know, you don't have time to uh, maybe do anything more than Google something. What is a good resource? What Where can parents start? A good starting place would be to contact your child's uh, healthcare provider, and then they can hopefully make a recommendation, a referral to a mental health provider, perhaps a child psychiatrist, perhaps your child needs um, psychological testing. I would also recommend that parents connect with other parents. Our community is very fortunate to have a very robust affiliate of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And that's where I went to connect with other families and individuals who are on this journey. And that really helped me reduce my sense of shame and isolation, that internalized stigma. You know, once I connected with others who were further along on that journey, that gave me a lot of hope. And then another really useful resources, and this is one of our initiatives of the Healthy Teen Minds Project, because it is difficult to navigate our very confusing mental health system of care. We developed a local web resource called myconnectionnew.org. What this is, is a user-friendly website that is connected to a database of all of our local 
um, mental health services supports in our tri-county, not just our tri-county region, we've added Brown County as well. So there's like over, you know, 500 listings in there. So granted, yes, there's a shortage of mental health therapists and psychiatrists. But again, we're a very resource rich community. So if you're looking for a support group, if you're looking for partial hospitalization or a day treatment program, other programs and services, a hotline, warm line, if you want to learn about, you know, Iris Place, this um, web resource, you can find all of that um, searchable on on um, My Connection New. And so, you know, it's going to take some time before we can have an adequate number of mental health providers in our community. But in the meantime, we wanted to make it easier for people to navigate all the other resources that are available. Thank you so much. And let's, uh, and we will have that on our website as well in the show notes today. But give that web address one more time because it's an incredible resource. MyConnectionNew.org. Wendy, thank you so much for being with us. We've really enjoyed having you here today uh, on the podcast. And uh, again, uh, all your resources will be right in the program. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Kyle, there is so much more to be done, but it is an encouraging start. We're going to wrap up this episode, but of course, the conversation on teen mental health and wellness continues. We've got links to all the resources we talked about today in our show notes for this episode. You can find them by going to cffoxvalley.org slash podcasts. There, you can subscribe to this podcast and get all our episodes delivered to you wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region.